Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. We have with us, and I am so pleased, we have with us a man that is more than a congressman. And I must tell you, not only is he my favorite congressman, he's one of my favorite human beings in the world. He and I have a very close relationship. He's like my brother, and he is. And that would be America's congressman, Louis Gomert. Louis, how are you? Hey. Well, James, as far as I know, I'm okay. And, yeah, you you are that brother from another mother. And, uh, and as you know, my wife, Kathy, I say my wife because you know, but your audience – my wife Kathy uh, loves you like I, well, almost as much as I do. But uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, and it's Louis, been too long since we got together. It so, is, and uh, thank you, by the yeah. way, thank you. You know, I opened the mail one day, folks, and Louis sent me a box of four bottles of the hottest salsa in the world from Tejas, <laughs> right from Tejas. It is ghost pepper salsa, and I so love it. Thank you, Louis. Yeah, well, it's it was amazing. You know, you were, uh, well, before you got to my house in Texas one day, I had stopped at a uh, roadside farmer's market, and I'd seen ghost chili pepper salsa. And I thought, well, you know, Kathy loves, she'll just eat jalapenos raw. She loves jalapenos. And she handles hot better than I do. So I bought that for her. And I have never seen her do this, whether it's the really hot stuff from uh, Asia or Mexico, wherever. She just loves it. Well, she took one big scoop of that salsa, and the next minute she's running over to the think getting the sprayer and spraying out her mouth i've never seen her do that because she loves hot stuff so you come and i know how you love hot stuff and you took a dorito and that was kind of curved and took a massive scoop and i thought mm, this is going to be interesting and you took the whole thing in your mouth and your eyes got big and then you said Oh, that's good. (laughs) Going, whoa, he likes this stuff. He said, oh, that's good. And you took another scoop and another scoop. And I've never seen anybody before or since that could eat something that hot and take it the way you did. So, you know, uh, when that place opens up that has it, uh, you know, we'd sent you bottles before but i'd been by that stand and picked up four bottles to send to you but uh, james you're amazing the way you can absorb the hot stuff yes incredible and it is great let's talk about some of the hot stuff louis you're leaving congress after how many terms nine terms james 18 years in congress louis yeah and Mm -hmm. i want to talk to you about something you know i call you america's congressman because you 
represent to me not just Tejas. You represent all of us. I know pe- people in New York love you. People in every state that I visited, they always ask about you and they love you because you re- you represent American values. So I want to go through a little, uh, I guess, a little quiz with you. I want to quiz you about your time in Congress. Mm. I want your impressions of the John Boehner years. How was it in the John Boehner Congress, <laughs> Louis? Uh, that I guess uh, that's <laughs> the best thing that I can say to describe it was two words: lost opportunity. Uh, you had a speaker who, I mean, it was a gift that we got the majority back in November 2010. It was the largest conservative. Uh, Going election since uh, well, in nearly a hundred years, um, and it was fantastic. And yet, we end up with a speaker who is not a leader, but his gift. Um, but I would say he remind me a little bit of the way King Saul's dis- kingship is described. I mean, basically. Uh, he wasn't good as a leader. Uh, he wasn't good with wisdom. Uh, he got elected be- the way every speaker gets elected. And it's amazing. It was a, quite a revelation when I began to understand the speaker is not elected because he or she is the best leader. The speaker is always the person who one more than half thinks is going to be elected. They don't vote for the best person. Uh, A majority will always vote for the person they think is going to win because if you're on the wrong side of the speaker's race, then you don't get the committee you want. You don't get the chairmanship you want. You don't get the perks and the media opportunities that the speaker throws your way. Uh, so, so people, not some of us are just too hard-headed, and we'll vote for the pe- best person regardless. But a majority, one more than half, will always vote for the speaker that they think is going to win so that they can uh, get the you know the positions they want and and the perks they want and you know maybe get something written into an appropriations bill there're just a lot of things so that's how Boehner got elected he was certainly not the best leader we had a lot of good leaders but they willingly took a back seat to Boehner because they had things they wanted and didn't think they could beat him, and so he ends up as speaker. But the similarity to Saul, I think, comes his one gift. He was good at discerning people that were a potential threat to him, uh-huh. to his leadership. Mm-hmm. And he would co-opt them by offering them positions, things like that. And it was amazing. You know, we we. Uh, in 2010, that summer, we thought we were going to probably win the majority. And there were about six or seven of us that started meeting, 
trying to find somebody that we could put up that would have a chance to win the speakership, a true leader. And there were several. And every single one that we thought had a chance would say, don't you dare nominate me for speaker because, um, you know, I'm talking to Boehner. He's going to get me this position. He's going to get me that. And um, if you nominate me, I'll withdraw my name. So, you know, it was really tough. Um, There was a guy named Mike Pence that did run against him. He would have been a good candidate. But by the next time when he had an even better chance of winning, uh, Boehner had offered to make him conference chair and help him with some things. And so... Uh, he didn't run against him. So wow. anyway, uh, that's those were some lost years. We could have done so much good. We got that massive wave election, and the first rattle out of the box, uh, Boehner agrees to a big spending in a lame duck. And then that following summer, he came up with uh, an idea of a of an appropriations bill that would have a super committee that would work out all of these cuts so we would be responsible. And uh, the uh, bottom line was if the super committee did not have an agreement as to what would be appropriated and what would be cut, then there would be these automatic sequestrations, massive uh, amounts this is, yeah, of the money. Automatic spending from, cuts that everyone hated. Yeah, from the defense. And I got up at conference and I pointed out, and this was in, I guess, July of 2011. They were trying to get it passed. It was that summer. And I said, this, oh, I remember. I said, look, when I was growing up, I had a friend in high school whose whose father had a gambling problem, and he thought he had an unbeatable hand. He was out of money, so he put his home on the table, um, and somebody had the hand that would beat him, and he lost his home. So I have known since high school, no matter how good you feel about your hand, You never put your home, your security, on the table in a gamble. And Boehner said, this isn't a gamble. Uh, Look, this is is, uh, a sure thing. The super committee will come up with the cuts, and we'll have this thing all worked out because the Democrats don't want $300 or so cut from Medicare. Because it was going to be more than that cut from the military, three hundred billion from Medicare, well, and I said, of course they want those cuts because they cut seven hundred billion from Medicare uh, in Obamacare. So the only way they can run ads this fall uh, or next year saying that Republicans cut Medicare is if they prevent an agreement. The automatic sequesters occur uh, to Medicare, and they get a twofer. 
They get to blame us for cuts to Medicare, and they get to cut draconian cuts from the military, which they love that too. And And he said, no, you just watched. Those cuts will never happen because the super committee will get it worked out. And if you went back and looked historically, what happened was uh, some senators just rolled over and said, "Okay, okay, we'll agree to a tax hike. We'll call it something else. And the two Democrat senators says, according to a newspaper report, "Okay, it looks like we're close to a deal. They went and talked to their Democrat leaders in the Senate, and they had to come back and say they don't want any kind of deal. So So the bottom line, Louie, was that the cuts to the military happened. Our military ended up getting cut because Boehner, of course, was wrong. Yep. We got to take a break. When we come back, I want to set you up with the question already so you have time to think about it. You went through the Boehner years. How about the Paul Ryan years, Louie? Mm. <laughs> when we come yep. back. All right. America's Congressman Louie Gomer with us on James Golden's Bo Sterling's Rush Hour. Don't go away. James Golden, known popularly as Bo Snurdly. This is the Rush Hour with Bo Snurdly. Rush, Rush. John Betty brings us back. WABC Talk Radio 77 in New York. With us right now, my friend, my brother, Congressman Louis Gomert, who is leaving Congress after 18 years. We spent the last few minutes going over the Boehner years. Now, Louis, I have to tell you this. I am not one of these people that, 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 openly rags on Republicans just for the heck of it. In the last few years when I was with Rush, in our little studio, you've been there. You were there with us. You yep. know how yep. small the environment is. If in right. the control room I would mention Paul Ryan's name, the person next to me, that lovely lady next to me, would erupt in a series of curse words. Oh, um, really? Yes. <laughs> No kidding. Visceral. Wow. And then I would talk to other people, and they had visceral, visceral anger toward Paul Ryan. And one of the things that kept coming up over and over again was that he wouldn't take the political knife out of Donald Trump's back, that he was duplicitous, that he sold out the conservatives, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you're a member of Congress. What were the Paul Ryan years like for you? Yeah, it, it was once again. Uh, we get the we've we've got the majority. Uh, some thought we'll never lose it again, which is always a huge mistake. And he just wanted to bring everybody together in in a loving spirit, which I would love to do, James. But the other side, you talk about a visceral. Man, they had no problems, you know, blaming Republicans for murder, mayhem, all kinds of things. And, and of course, they did that. And I will give you one example. Um, 
of just how bad, how poor the leadership was. But in uh, June of 2016, um, Democrats were very upset. They were demanding a that a bill be passed restricting people's Second Amendment rights. And it was after a shooting down in Florida in a nightclub where a radical Islamist came into the club and started shooting, I think. The Pulse nightclub. Yes. In Orlando, yes. 50 or so, 49, 50 precious lives that were, were taken by a radical Islamic murderer. And he had called and left a message that um, uh, with the AG's office that he was doing it for Allah. He was a radical Islamist, clearly. And anyway, all the Democrats could blame was the gun. They, They could not bring themselves to criticize a radical Islamist. So um, they decided to do something that we now know since January 6th is called obstructing an official session of Congress. Now, I knew they were violating, you know, maybe two dozen different House rules, lots of House rules, and Paul Ryan wouldn't do anything about it. But they they staged a sit-in on the House floor and we tried to go into sessions. They grabbed the mics and wouldn't let us go into session. Uh, and just they obstructed an official session of Congress. I don't think there's a better way to put that, which also, as it turns out, happens to be a felony. Well, uh, this went on for hours. Now, January 6th, it went on for six hours, five or six but back in June of 2016, it was going on for hours. So it was, it was like five or six o'clock. I, I just couldn't stand it because this was the place where, yes, we use words to debate and fight and resolve disputes with civility. That's required us out for that. And here they had just taken over the House floor as a minority and refused to let us go into session. And they said we were not going to they were not going to allow us to go back into session until they were promised we would bring a gun bill to the floor that would restrict Second Amendment rights. And so Paul Ryan wasn't doing anything. Uh, You know, it was a crime what they were doing. And so I I walked in, and I was about to go into the well of the house, challenging these people for the wrongdoing. This had never happened in the whole history of Congress, that members of Congress obstructed the, other, the majority from going into session. And as I'm about to walk on, Paul Ryan's staff come rushing in, and they say, uh, Mr. Gomer, Mr. Gomer, uh, look, please don't do anything. Please don't do anything. They've got their cameras out. And I said, right, right. And and that's a violation of the rules. You're not supposed to be filming on the House floor. And they're not only taking pictures of filming, they're broadcasting live from the House floor. That's a violation of the rules. 
And one of the things Paul could do is cut off the Wi-Fi here in the House chamber, and that will stop the broadcast, which is, you know, they're violating the rules. And so they said, look, Paul is uh, the speaker. Speaker Ryan is calling an emergency uh, meeting conference of the Republicans and so please, please just don't do anything until after the uh, emergency conference. And I said, all right, if you're assuring me that something's going to be done. But, I mean, as a former judge, uh, I wouldn't let that kind of stuff go on in my courtroom. We'd have the bailiffs come in and clear anybody out that was acting up. Uh, So we have our emergency conference. Paul promises he's going to take care of it, and these people are going to be punished and all this. And hours later, nothing has been done. And so I come into the House floor from the back of the chamber, walking down the aisle. They're talking about guns, and I was yelling, Radical Islam killed those innocent victims at that nightclub. And, you know, people stopped talking. I yelled it again. And I'm walking down to the well. And a Democrat from New Jersey, when I said radical Islam has killed those innocent victims, he yelled, so you're a racist. And I went, what? He said himself he was a radical Islamist. He was doing it for Allah. And he said, so you're a racist. And this is a white guy, you know. And he's, and I said, he called the attorney general's office and let them know he was doing it for Allah. He was a radical Islamist. He said, so you're a racist. <laughs> then Corrine Brown gets up in my face and says that, I said, he himself said he was doing it for Allah. He killed all those innocent people. And Green Brown said, that's a lie because it happened in my district. And I said, he himself said it. She said, but that's a lie because it happened in my district. And I think she's still in jail now. But anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, for corruption charges, by the way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, uh Nothing was ever done by Paul Ryan about that. And it sure looks to me like it fits the felony description of a, of obstructing an official session of Congress. It was an Congress. insurrection. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm hesitant to use that word. Obviously, the Democrats are not. And even a judge that just in the last couple of weeks sentenced a poor guy that did not go into the Capitol, 72 years old, and she said he um, he and other insurrectionists did this terrible thing. Well, nobody's been charged with insurrection that we can find, and certainly nobody's been found guilty of insurrection. So I think that uh, that poor guy should appeal his sentence. But when you go back to June of 2016, Paul Ryan did nothing about that. And, James, I didn't know until toward the end of his term, uh, a friend said, uh, by the way, 
I was near Paul Ryan on election night 2016, and he and others were trashing Trump, making fun of him. This idiot thinks he could win the election. He has no chance. What a joke. Biggest joke in Republican history running for president. On and on and on. And I wish we had known about that, and he would never have been elected speaker. Yeah, well. But uh, it was it was a very sad time, just like the Boehner years, what might have been if we had had a courageous leader uh, like Newt Gingrich was in 1995. Louis, I got one more thing. We have about two minutes left. I want to play you something from Karine Jean-Pierre. Karine Jean-Pierre, the press girl for the White House. Yeah, easy for you to say. <laughs> and I just want to get your reaction to uh, to uh, the new press secretary for the United States of America, Karine Jean-Pierre. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, she's she's been making all kind of uh, crazy comments and all that good stuff. Kevin, let me know when you have it ready. We have it? Okay, let's hear it. The president thinks that there is an extremist threat to our democracy. Uh, the president has been clear, as he can be, on that particular uh, piece when we talk about a democracy, when we talk about our freedoms. Uh, the way that he sees is the MAGA Republicans are the most energized part of the Republican Party. Uh, the, that extreme, this is an extreme threat to our democracy, to our freedom, uh, to our rights. Uh, they just don't respect the rule of law. You've heard that from uh, the president. Uh, and, um, you know, they are pursuing an agenda uh, that takes away people's rights. So, which is what the president said last week on Thursday. You all heard him. This is what the president said yesterday, and that's what he's going to continue to say. And here's the thing. The president's not going to shy away uh, to call out uh, what he clearly sees is happening in this country. And, um, you know, again, MAGA Republicans are this extreme part of their party, and that is just facts. What do you say about that, Louis? We got two minutes. Well, he, he, she says he clearly sees this. He can't clearly see the exit that's right in front of him. Uh, and so, I mean, the, he doesn't clearly see anything. But what we've learned and what I've learned in my nearly 18 years in Congress is that when Democrats like that are accusing Republicans of specific things, that's what they're doing. The Russia collusion, all those allegations, they were the ones colluding with the Russians. Uh, the um, intimidation that Trump was charged with in Ukraine was exactly what uh, Biden's on video doing. And so when they he talks about taking away rights, uh, no president has ever taken away as many rights. I mean, just look, for example— uh, he's destroyed contract law when he says, okay, we're going to forgive all this indebtedness of college loans. So all these people that didn't go to college, uh, they'll have to pay for the people's loans that did. I mean, that's right out of the, social, the Socialist Republic back in the old USSR. But Pelosi has said multiple occasions that the president had no authority to cancel indebtedness. Right. He could postpone it, but he could not cancel it. And here you have Biden just destroying 
uh, contract law. And look at the border. I mean, maybe five million people have come across. We don't know. The estimate, sure, the estimate, Louis, is that this year, if the numbers go unabated, we will have the largest influx of illegal immigrants in American history, 6.4 million people. Yep. And and they're coming in. They're not tested. We don't know what diseases they're bringing in. But even worse, from a humanitarian standpoint, is all of the human trafficking, the sex trafficking, the rapes of the girls along the way. And, and, and all once being they get encouraged, here. Yeah, it, it all being encouraged by this administration. Louis, there was this story, and I got to leave you with this because with time is around. Yeah. Louis. There was a story, I've been talking about it, a 10-year-old girl, 10 years old, oh. Louie, 10 oh. years old, oh. claimed to be by one of these families, oh, she belongs to us, she's with our family. She wasn't. Louie, this 10-year-old girl was raped four, multiple times by four members of the family, multiple times. Oh, she had her, Louie, she had her mouth cut with a knife because they didn't oh. like the way that she made breakfast. This, oh this is what this administration is complicit to. And yeah, the horror is. stories really go is. on and on. It is outrageous. They have violated their oaths to the Constitution. Uh, it, it's just horrendous. And there's the jury's still out on whether we survive the next two and a half years. Louis, thank you, my brother. We will talk further. You will be liberated from Congress at the end of this term. I can't wait to read the books. I can't wait. Some of this should be made into a movie. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> James, you're such an encourager, man. You're my number one encourager. I just am so grateful. Thank you. I'm so grateful for you, Louis. Thank you so much for joining us on Boston Early's Rush Hour. That's Louis Gomert, America's congressman, my friend, America's congressman, Louis Gomert. We're coming back right after this. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. 